This is One Ogden. I'm John Miles. Sherry Bambro is Outreach Director for Youth Futures. Her work involves making sure youths 12 to 18 in the community know that there is a safe space they can go if they need it. It includes temporary housing or just a safe space to hang out. Did you grow up here? I grew up in South Weber. Lived there my whole life, 55 years. (laughs) How was it there with the canyon and all that? I love it. We live down at the bottom end of it, so it's not quite as windy as the top end. Just down, just below the toll roads. Yeah. How long have you been involved in Youth Futures? So I've been with involved with them for about four years. I've worked for them for three. I started as a volunteer. We did a a third-party event for them with some of the local punk rock bands, and that kind of introduced me to Youth Futures, and I just never went away after we did that first fundraiser. And so how did you get into the fundraiser? Are you a punk rocker? Of sorts. I have um, a lot of my really good friends are in some of the local punk rock bands. Um, My feral children, so to speak. I've kind of adopted a bunch of the local band members. Hi-Fi Murder's been, they've played every single benefit show we've ever done. So it was kind of an odd pairing at first, but the first show we did raised a few hundred dollars and that was the one I volunteered at. And when we went to drop the donations and the money off, I didn't even know it a youth center existed. I didn't even really know there was a need for a youth center. So I was that annoying volunteer who asked a million questions and wanted to know everything about the place and why it was there and you know, where are the parents? Why why does this exist? And I kind of offhandedly said, well, if you ever need any help, I would love to volunteer. And they had an event coming up. And so I volunteered at the event, helped them just with their auction and some of the decorations and stuff. And again, kind of jokingly said, well, you know, if you guys ever have an opening, I'd be interested in doing this. I was working in Salt Lake at the time. And I said, I'd love to be, you know, back in Ogden, closer to home working. And about two months later, they called me up and said, you said you were interested if we had an opening and we do. And I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to leave. I was, I worked for the National MS Society. So I had a really good job with a big national company, but I couldn't say no. My heart was like, you got to do this. And I haven't regretted it for a second since. It's the best job I've ever had. And so you've always done a lot of volunteering, it sounds like? Yep. I've always volunteered a lot, uh, worked in nonprofit. I grew up, my mom was the director for the March of Dimes when I was growing up. So I grew up doing walkathons and helping stuff packets and things like that. And then I, I worked for the National MS Society and finally landed. I found my home. And so what do you do for Youth Futures? So I'm the community outreach coordinator um, in development. So basically any third-party events like fundraisers that other people want to put on for us, I kind of help them organize that and work with them. Um, Donations, and then we do a big event later in the year that we'll talk about that I'm in charge of that. And Mm. basically the fundraising and the community outreach. So so it's a lot of event coordinate or event planning? Yep, event planning, event coordinating, getting... Well, yeah, because I do feel like I know about Youth Futures a little bit, but it is sort of hard to get the word out. It seems like maybe like there's like privacy they maintain or like security. Is it that kind of thing? With the kids, there is like we can't obviously talk about, you know, who stays with us or any specifics like that. But we would love for 
everybody in the state to know we exist and that the services are available, not only for the donations and the fundraising and stuff, but the the youth that might need us. Right. We serve several hundred youth every year between our three shelters, but there's an estimated 5,000 youth that spend at least one night on the street in Utah. So there's a lot of them who aren't getting to our services that, you know, that's the goal is to make sure that not only the the public knows about us, but the kids who need our services. So things like this or speaking in schools, um, getting the word out more in the junior highs and high school so that they know we exist is mm. a big part of what I do. And so the primary goal is it's a shelter, a temporary home for people, what, 12 to 18, under 18? Yep, 12 to 18. It's so at risk, either runaway or kids who have been kicked out. We have kids who have um, parents who are also homeless, but maybe won't stay in a shelter for one reason or another. So the kids stay with us. So they have a, you know, a warm bed. They can get up and keep a schedule, go to school, do their laundry. And that's our, our main focus is the shelter, obviously, and getting these kids reunited with their family or into an independent living situation where they can become productive members of society as well. And then what else What else do you offer? What other services? So we also offer drop-in services and our drop-ins are, they can get all of the same services that the residents can. They can stop in, they can have breakfast, lunch, dinner, get snacks, come in and use the internet if maybe they need to you know, get some homework done or fill out a job application. They can take a food box home to their family or we have a big resource room that's completely stocked on donations from the community where we have hygiene items and you know, warm clothes, boots, hats, and the drop-ins and the residents can come in and go down to the resource room and we always tease that they're going shopping. They'll go down and, you know, get a new pair of pants or, you know, if they need school clothes or school supplies, whatever we have down there. And it's all free of charge to the residents and the drop-ins. And then the drop-ins can also access therapy and case management and all of the other resources that we have for them to, you know, find housing or get into a, a rehabilitation center or whatever community resources they need. We can help them out with that. We have case managers who can guide them to get them down the right path and teach them what steps to take to find those resources. So are there are there kids who stay there for like long periods of time? It's our average stay is like under 40 days. Mm-hmm. Um, we are we're a temporary lowberry emergency shelter. So our goal isn't to we're not, you know, permanent housing or a residential center. We do have kids that stay longer if because they have to have a safe place to go, right? We're not going to get to the 40 days and if they don't have a safe place. So if at the end of you know, 30 days is kind of our goal to have a, at least the plan for them. Are they going, in, are they getting a job? Are they going into a transitional living? Are they going home with parents? And mm. so usually just over 30 days is about what it takes to get a plan figured out and get them back on the right track. Some stay a little longer just to make sure everything's in order. You know, they've gotten that the first paycheck and transitional living works out great for them because it's, you know, they, they get jobs they, they have to pay a little bit of rent. They All the kind of adult things that they didn't have to do in shelter, but it's teaching them how to get out into the real world and be self-sustaining. Hmm. Yeah, because I'm thinking about it. So I was trying to think of the scenarios that these 
youth might be in. And it's like, I was thinking of, you know, maybe the parents are incarcerated or they die, but those people probably get state resources. These are probably more people coming from like troubled situations. Yep. Family discord is the number one reason we have a kid in our, in our shelter. Um, and the, the therapy that we offer isn't just available to the youth. It's also available to the family because it's, you know, you hear about generational poverty a lot, but there's also, you know, generational trauma and all of the things that lead to these youth being homeless are things that maybe their parents were never taught either or their grandparents. And so it's the therapies available for the whole family. Because like I say, that's always our, our goal is to get these kids reunited back in kinship care if it's safe and if it's possible. And sometimes it's just a matter of you know, everybody learning how to function as a family. It's not, it's not bad parents and it's not bad kids. It's the knowledge isn't there to know how to function as a family. And so a lot of times it's just getting everybody on the same page, giving them all the resources they need and going through that therapy. And sometimes that doesn't work, right? Sometimes these kids are better off on their own than with the the hand they were dealt. But Mm -hmm. if we can get them back in a safe situation in kinship care, that's what we want. Otherwise, we want them to learn to be the, the stop for where the abuse or the poverty or the homelessness ends. We want them to be contributing members of society. Huh. That's interesting. So so there must be situations where you are sort of coaching them through like emancipation and, and that kind of stuff. Like Sometimes emancipation, it's always, you know, we hear it a lot. The kids will come in there. I want to be emancipated. And it's <laughs> like, it's such a process. So usually they age out uh-huh. before they can ever get through the process of emancipation. Uh-huh. But the thing is, is if they're, you know, doing all the steps to get emancipated, then they can go into a transitional living or kind of be on their own anyway, because they're, they're getting a job. You know, you have to be able to take care of yourself to be emancipated. You have to have a place to live. You have to have all these other things in order. So we, we do help them with that process if that's reasonable, but a lot of times they're, you know, 17 years old, going to be 18 in two months and they go I want to be emancipated and it's like Mm. well that's a year and a half process so well there's no point (laughs) do they have to do that if they're 16 and they just want to get out of a no Um, situation in Utah um, at 15 years old a youth can check themselves into a shelter without parental consent Um, we do always notify the parents that the kids are there we don't want nobody wants to put a parent in the situation of not knowing where their kid is, no, under any circumstances. But they can at 15 choose to stay, even if the parents don't want them to. That rarely happens. Usually everybody's on the same page that the youth needs to be in shelter until we can get the families, you know, everybody situated and back on the same page and back in order. But Okay, so then you as outreach, you're going to schools and letting the kids know about this stuff? Yeah, we have a team. There's three of us in the development department that go out. We speak at schools. We talk to the, you know, the fire departments, the police. We've, in the past, if a, if a youth was picked up on the street, you know, they went to detention or they went to a juvenile center. And we've kind of gotten on all the same page with the police that, you know, these kids don't need to be in jail. They don't need to go to a detention center. They need a warm, safe place to be. So uh, Weber County Sheriff has worked really closely with us. They'll, you know, they'll bring a youth to us that just, they're not bad kids. They just are looking for a warm place to stay or a, a meal. And especially this time of year, it's 
you know, nobody wants to be out on the street. So we work really closely, like I say, with several agencies, um, not only the police and the sheriff departments, but Weber Housing and Weber Human Services and so many local charities. I don't, I don't even want to start trying to name all of them because I'll sure. miss somebody, but all of the local agencies who work with homelessness, we partner with and coordinate with and share resources. And Well, and then I would think that kids in the schools are coming up to you like, talking about their difficult situations right sometimes i've i've been at schools and had you know kids kind of come up nonchalantly and slide one we have little cards that we put out that they say open 24 7 and have all of our info and you'll see them kind of sneak the card out from you know behind and a few days later you get a phone call from them or they show up at the shelter but And we have teachers, too, who will come up to us and say, you know, I have a student that I need to connect with you. So we'll give them the information. And the counselors and the teachers at the schools have all been really good to help spread the word and, you know, let the kids know that we exist and that they can come there. And just kind of getting away from the stigma of it's a bad thing to to come to the shelter and and seek resources. That Mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's okay to come and ask for help. It's okay to come and do a load of laundry or right. get a food box for your family. There's no, sh- there's no shame in not having the resources to take care of your family. We can, there's, there's help out there. Um, and, but so then I would also think that there would be a fair amount of, uh, I don't know, troublemakers that would come through. But so I'm curious about like the resources, like what, what does Youth Futures have to have available to kind of make it, you know, safe and make all that work? So we have, all of our staff is trained. We go through training. We have therapists on call. We have um, social workers, you know, at the shelter. Most of our, from our executive director down through most of our management have social work degrees. So the staff's trained. um, And I, you know, the the kids aren't really troublemakers. They need help. And most of them, most of the time, if you respect them, they respect you back. And it's sometimes for these kids, we're the first adult they've ever met that they can trust. Mm. If, you know, and when we say that to them all the time, you, you might not like everything I tell you, but it'll be the truth. If I, if I tell you I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. If I say I can't do something, I can't. It's, there's no, and it doesn't take very long usually at all for the kids to realize that they're in a safe space, that they're okay to just be who they are, and we're going to be there, we're going to advocate for them, regardless of their circumstances. I've never met a kid there that I went, we, we can't do this, or we can't help them. It's There's resources out there, and that's what our team does, is the kids come in, and we find the right resources within the state to get them the help that they need, whether it be, you know, getting them just consistently to their doctor's appointments so they can stay on their medication is huge. Um, A lot of these kids have anxiety problems or, you know, mental health issues that if they're not taking their medication regularly, they're going to have issues. And then they become those troublemakers, so Mm -hmm. to speak. And that's when they're in the shelter, they have case management that does that for them. They can, you know, okay, your, your meds are running low. Let's, let's call the doctor. Let's get a refill. Let's, get you to your appointment and so it getting them back on track that way solves most of the issues if just like I say someone they can count on to 
to get them on the right track and get them going. And then they see how much better life is when you're taking the right steps and doing the things you need to do. And they're applying for jobs. We work, IHC has a program that they do with us where the kids, you know, can go through an application process and go to work for IHC. They pay, pay for their schooling and they pay them to work there and it, they'll keep them on as long as they're towing the line. And it's, it's a great opportunity for these kids. Huh. And so what kind of things can, can like volunteers do? So we have volunteers do everything from, we have um, hygiene packets that we put together. Um, we also have a street outreach program where we go out on the street a few times a week, partly to work with the adult homeless population and find them resources, but also to look for any youth that might be out on the street that haven't accessed our services yet. Um, so we have volunteers. And so what does that look like? You're driving around and just driving around looking for kids that are yep. looking lost? We got a big white van that's got our logos all over it. And they take lunches out and hygiene items. You know, they don't just drive down the road. No, there's a teenager. Let's stop and get them. Usually what happens is they meet adults who are homeless. And eventually once that trust is built with them, mm-hmm they'll let us know there's you know there's some teenagers down in this encampment or there um the the kids that are living on the streets you don't see them very often unless they want you to see them they're not just they're they're pretty good at hiding the fact that they're out on the street and homeless oh i see so it's it's usually the the adults on the street that lead us to the to the youth because they'll trust them before they trust us and so and you work i would guess like with weaver housing authority and ogden housing authority and all that all of those, um, the Ogden Police Department actually has a team also with Anna Davidson that goes out and works with the homeless. So we, we work with the Ogden Police Advo- Homeless Advocates pretty closely. And and so, so volunteers can go out with you on the street teams? They can go out. They To go out on the street and meet with clients, they, they have to go through a background check and mm. all of that kind of stuff. But we do have some really good volunteers that go out with us on the street. We also have opportunities in shelter. We have people that come in and well, like cook a meal once in a while for the kids or we had a couple that used to come in and do pizzas a couple of times a month or we've had you know groups come in and do like a taco tuesday and make tacos for the kids or quilt tying or just come in and you know play board games with the kids or cards sometimes we have volunteers come in and just do really boring stuff with the staff like clean the bathrooms and the everyday stuff that we do we're, uh-huh. we're there 24 7 but Volunteers can, anything that our staff does or, you know, activities with the kids. You know, I love it when a volunteer just calls and says, hey, I know how to crochet. I'd love to come in and teach the bring the stuff and teach the kids to crochet. And we'll put a, put a group together. Yeah, it's any kind of group like that, that the kids can kind of sit down and learn something. And, you know, sometimes you get one kid that's interested and sometimes you get 10 that uh-huh. want to learn how to crochet. But yeah, we've tied quilts with the kids. We've had people crochet paint night anything Uh you can think of those are my favorites to come in because it it involves the kids and they get to yeah participate and the volunteers usually are happier to get to work with the kids than so what is that process like for a person who really has no connection to youth futures right now but they have this kind of drive like they just sort of would come down get to know the people in charge do the background check and just Mm -hmm. sort of initiate a relationship yeah and you can go on our website and there's a volunteer form you can fill out you know kind of put on there what you're interested in doing there's a a spot for comments or you can call me and I'm happy to walk you through it um I'm actually looking for a guitar right now I have a youth who is begging for an acoustic guitar um 
And so then talk about the events that you guys do. Like, do you have pretty regular annual events that you do? Yeah, so we have lots of third-party events that our community does for us. We talked about those a little bit, but we host one big event every year. It's in November because November is Homeless Youth Awareness Month. So every November we do, we call it the Utah Sleepout. And you, you fundraise for, you know, it opens up in January to start fundraising, form your team, and you fundraise all year. And then on the first week of November, you come to the shelter and we spend the night out back in the cold. And it's, you know, we get some controversy on it. Is it like, really, you're going to pretend to be homeless for a night? And it's like, absolutely not. We know we're not homeless. We have, we can go inside the building anytime we want. We have a warm zone. We have great big campfires. We have fresh hot soup, you know. So it's not pretending to be homeless, but it's just, it's spending one night in their shoes just to get a tiny idea of what these youth go through. And we have, last year in Ogden, we had 86 people that showed up for the event, which was great. It's a fun event. 28 of us actually made it through the night. Oh, really? So what is that? A a third of the people actually made it through the whole night. And it just goes to show even with all of the advantages, even with a warm zone, even with fires that we kept blaring all night, all of the things that we had going and still only 28 of us could make it. And it just gives you a good idea of, you know, what if you didn't have a choice? Right. What if you couldn't walk inside and use the restroom anytime you wanted or go in, you know, Grounds for Coffee brings all the hot coffee and cocoa and snacks. And if that wasn't available, and, you know, I think I drank a gallon and a half of coffee myself that night. And it's it's eye-opening to see what it what it would be like in November in Utah to have to spend even one night out on the street, let alone all of the nights, every night, and then get up and go to school the next morning. Yeah. Or get up and go to your job the next morning. And I did learn at this year's sleep out, though. We had a lot of our uh, guests that come used to be homeless. Um, a lot of the members of the bands and stuff. And we were talking about, you know, whose car, who had the biggest car, whose car we would sleep in. And they all said, no, you don't want to be in a car. If it's colder inside a car oh. than it is outside of a car when you're homeless. So. Huh. Fun, fun homeless fact for you. I didn't well, know that. Yeah, <laughs> and that's just—it's so annoying that people would nitpick about your your thing. Yeah. But then all those people who say it's so easy to do for a night—they should come out and do it. Come one out time. and do it one night. It's a big challenge, and we do. The people that make it through the night get like prizes and stuff. We call them our sleep out warriors. And last, so this we just did it this last November, and like I say, we had twenty eight people spend the night outside. The year before, the Weber County Sheriff's Office, they had six people, and they were the only group that made it through the whole night. So <laughs> they were pretty happy this year that we had 20 more people to spend the night outside with them. It was it was me and the Sheriff's Department outside <laughs> last year. <laughs> well, and it, uh, a few years ago, it was at Weber State, wasn't it? Didn't you do yep. it in the parking lot there? The first year we did it, we did it up to Weber State, and we moved it to the shelter for a couple of reasons. There's First and foremost, there's a lot of logistics to doing an overnight event at a university outside. Uh, there's a lot of expense involved that we figured would be better off, you know, going to the shelter. But oh, yeah. also, it's so impactful to have the people come to the shelter 
And about halfway through the night, around eight o'clock, we do a tour through the shelter and we let everybody go in and, you know, you get to see where the kids sleep, the kitchen, the resource room. And it's, it, I had several people this year say, you know, I came because my friends were coming or it seemed like a fun idea in that. But after we did the tour and heard the stories and walked through the shelter, we'll be back every year. We'll oh. support this forever now. It's our, our founder tells kind of the story of how it opened and, you know, how she came about, her and her uh, partner, Scott, how they started this. And it's just, it's a really fun night. I highly recommend everybody shows up to it this year. <laughs> yeah. Uh, when is it usually that you do it? It's the first week of November. So I believe it's November 4th in Northern Utah this year. And then we turn around and do it the following weekend in Southern Utah. Oh, I see. So, and we have people that go to both events or... We kind of, you know, a little competition between the two, see if Southern Utah or Northern Utah can raise more money. So. How does the fundraising of it work? The teams are just recruiting sponsors or is it Either way, yeah, so we have teams who just, they form a team online and then just share it on Facebook, ask family and friends to donate money. We have companies who will match, um, you know, I always tell people check to see if the company you work for matches your donations. Um, and then we have people who go out and look for sponsors for themselves. We have sponsorships for the event in general. Um, Admiral, Bev Admiral Beverage, uh, City Financial, Grounds for Coffee, um, Mountain West Veterinary, Ellis Printing. Uh, we have Sean Poulton who does all of our printing and stuff for us. So there's several groups that come in and sponsor the event, but then our constituents also go out and raise money on their own, mostly by sharing on their social media and door to door. We, you know, we've got little tennis shoes with signs that say, we're going to spend a night in their shoes, help us raise X amount of dollars that if there's businesses who want to set them up inside their businesses, they can collect money that way. So mm. are you guys out like soliciting donations, other places? For the for the events or in general? Just just in general, like that's well, that fundraiser is not your only. That's our main fundraising event. We do so we have grants that we apply for federal and state, mm -hmm. and then also just our community donations. We um, you can set up a recurring donation on our website where you know a lot of people think I can't do much, but you know if a hundred people donate ten dollars a month. That's a lot of programming that we can provide for these kids. And it's every little bit helps. Every, you know, a $10 donation buys a backpack for a kid that doesn't have one before. Or, you know, it, it costs about $1,000 a month to feed all of the kids in a shelter. So just those little donations add up to a lot. And it's, it's never not impactful. Mm. It, it always makes a difference. Do you guys also take donations of, like, food or clothes or anything? Yeah, we take in-kind donations. Um... Most of what's down in our resource room, like hygiene items and school supplies and clothing, you know, gently used or new clothing for teenagers and stuff, we will take that all the time. We rotate through the kids. You say they're there an average of about 35 days. So we're always needing new sizes, new stuff. And we're, if anyone wants to come and do a tour of the shelter, I'm happy to set that up. You can kind of, when we say the resource room, when you come down and look at it, it it has a big impact to look around and go, this is everything these kids have access to right here. If they need something, it needs to be on these walls for huh. for them to have. So, you know, blankets, pillows, twin bedding, 
is always a big need. Individual snacks. We get a lot of food donations from like Catholic community or the Bishop's storehouse. But rightfully so, it's necessities, right? It's milk and cheese and vegetables. But the kids go pretty crazy when it's a bag of chips or some popcorn or sodas. We have to, you know, kind of divvy out the sodas one at a time because they'll drink a 12-pack if it comes in all at once. <laughs> okay, so then are we, are we missing any other ways for people to support Youth of Futures other than regular donations, some in-kind donations, volunteering? I think one of the easiest ways to support us, too, is to follow us on social media and share the posts and get, you know, the more the word gets out and people know about us, um, we're, we have facilities throughout the state. So my goal is that every person in the state knows we exist and yeah. knows the services are available. So uh, where is the facility in Ogden? So in Ogden, we're at 2760 Adams, oh, okay. just up above the Maverick. But I mean, I guess that there are the kids who end up out there supporting themselves. And do you guys still like provide them with resources? You know, the we do. We have aftercare for them. And like I say, our goal, if they're not going home, is to make sure that they have all of the tools they need. Um, and if they turn 18, we still, you know, we're going to get them hooked up with the right facilities and the right resources to, to make sure they're on the right path. I think the biggest way to, to support the kids once they've either aged out of our system or are back out there is understanding, I guess. I, I hear a lot, you know, the, oh, these people are all homeless because they're lazy or this or that. And it's, it's just not the case. Most of the people that are homeless, they either are working and still can't afford a place to live or they were working and they were laid off. The pandemic caused a lot of that. Or they have mental health issues and no mental health care. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, we get asked quite often, what, what do you think would solve the homeless problem? What's the number one thing? And my answer is always to solve the mental health problem in our country. If yeah. you could solve the mental health problem, you could solve the homeless problem or at least come close to it. There, you know, I think we'll always have a percentage of people that are, are homeless. Some do choose to be homeless, but the majority don't want to be homeless. They, they want to be someplace safe and warm. They just, they need access to the health care. They need access to get the resources they need when they go to get a driver's license and they tell them they need their birth certificate and they go to get a copy of their birth certificate and they tell them they need their driver's license to get there and and then they give up because I've just walked a total of 20 miles to get run around in circles. Yeah. And so having people out there access to the, the resources that are available and advocates to stick with them and make sure they, they follow all the steps and get through it. And sometimes it takes a year to get them, you know, they give up pretty easy when they've been let down so much. But I think that would be the biggest help to people that aren't in a youth homeless shelter once they've aged out and stuff is, is a little more understanding and compassion of how they ended up where they are instead of a little less judgment, a little more compassion. Do you still get a lot of like LGBT youth who aren't welcome at home? Is that still a big thing? We do. It's a, it's a big percentage of our kids mm -hmm. are LGBTQ. Some, some are there just 
for the regular re- the family discord and stuff it has nothing to do with the fact that they're part mm. of the lgbt mm. community but we do get youth in that they were either kicked out for that reason or didn't feel safe so they ran away mm. um so what about are you are you involved in any other organizations i am i still work um with the ms society on their northern utah committee do they do stuff locally they do they have a walk well they do a walk in salt lake and mm-hmm. We do um, some fundraisers up here. They do a bar crawl in the fall and stuff. But and then and then you're keeping uh, rock bands charitable. Is that keeping what you're rock doing? bands charitable. <laughs> yep. Our it's I always tell people that you know kind of the same thing of judging the the homeless community and stuff. These local punk rock bands. We've got I, I'll name a few. I know I'm going to miss some, but you know Top Shelf Creeps, Dre's Method, Hi-Fi Murder. Uh, Brad Reiser, who's a local singer and stuff, they have been so supportive and raised thousands of dollars for us over the years. And they're honestly the some of the best people you'd ever meet. I Like I say, Dustin and Nick and some of the original members of, of Hi-Fi Murder kind of introduced me to Youth Future. So it's been... They're good kids, so. I did just see they were doing the charitable show just a week or two ago, and I was like, good for them. Yeah, they did a fundraiser for us. That um, We do it up at Kamikazes, and Tommy that owns Kamikazes is great. He kind of turns over the whole place to us and lets us take over the pool tables and everything else for our raffle. And I know a bunch of them are doing a show this Friday down in Salt Lake for another charity so it's they're good guys well and so this is the thing people need to know is that if youth futures is doing an event around here there's probably going to be good music is that uh, yep how there's it works? great music great people <laughs> and always great prizes we put together some great raffles <laughs> all right um yeah thank that you. wasn't too bad right i thought that was great to contact sherry you can call 801-941-9112 or email cbambro at yfut.org. Again, that's c-b-a-m-b-r-o-u-g-h at yfut.org.